Merry Christmas. So here we are a few days before Christmas. How many of you have not finished your Christmas shopping? Now y'all realize I asked that question two weeks ago and it was about the same number of people that put up their hands. What's wrong with you people? Got a few days left. You know, Christmas shopping or gift shopping is one of those things that's kind of hard for me. When, uh, when all five kids that we have was, was at home, it was all about equal distribution. I mean, like, you had to have the same number of presents, and they would count to make sure that you had the same number. They were checking out shapes and sizes and density. I mean, those little communists wanted everybody to be the same. <laughs> and so that was, that was kind of Christmas morning back then. And uh, I think a lot of us guys kind of dread buying gifts for our wives. I mean, like, some of us are still a little nervous over last year when she cried over the emergency car deluxe kit, you know, the one you keep in your trunk. And the year before that when she cried over the weed whacker that we purchased for her on sale that she didn't seem to like either. Let me give you some hints about buying your wife Christmas presents. I've been married 38 years, and I know there's guys that could, you know, have been married 60 in here, but just, just a few hints. Number one, never buy anything that has to do with sizes. Just stay away from that. Because, like, if you buy something too big, she's like, well, how big do you think I am, right? And if you buy something too small, she's like, are you giving me a hint? Because I haven't worn that size since I was 21. Are you patronizing me? So, I mean, you just can't win. And you newlyweds, I have some advice for you. This is, this is really good advice. If your spouse is telling you, oh, you don't have to buy me anything for Christmas. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You, you don't have to do that. And, and she seems or he seems so genuine and so sincere. Listen to me. They don't mean it. It's a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech that someone uses when they know that they can say that to you because you will buy them a Christmas present anyway. It's a figure of speech. And you know, we all want to buy the right gift. We want to buy something that's thoughtful. We want to buy something that's appropriate. We want to buy something that's meaningful, maybe something that will change their life. We want to be generous, but yet we're all kind of on a budget. And it can be tough sometimes to, to pick out gifts. So I heard this story. This happened last year. A guy by the name of Stephen Dane took his two children, a, a boy and a daughter by the name of Taylor, to his local Bass Pro Shop to let his children see Santa and take some pictures. So they got there, and there was about 100 kids there. And they waited for over an hour in line, and then finally it was their turn to talk to Santa Claus. And he said, so my little boy goes first. And he said, I knew what he was going to say. He asked for a big remote control truck and, and a Nerf gun. 
He said, then it was my daughter's Taylor's turn. He said, I had no idea what she was going to ask for. But like any good dad, he already had his phone, you know, his camera out, and he was videoing the whole thing, both his son and his daughter. But he didn't have any idea what she was going to ask for. He didn't know if she was going to ask for an outfit, if she was going to ask for a new toy. No idea. So the little girl, Taylor, climbs up in Santa's lap, and she starts to cry. And she told Santa that all she wanted for Christmas was for her cousin to be cured of leukemia. Santa reaches out and kind of hugs her, embraces her, and he said, I don't have the power to heal, but I know someone who does. And this is what happened next. Awesome is that? How about it for that Santa Claus, right? You know, even Santa knows that there are some gifts that he can't give. That there are gifts that you can't purchase, you can't gift wrap, you can't put in a gift bag. And I want to talk about one of those gifts this morning. And it's really special because it comes from God himself. And he's given it to all of us who will receive it. You know, unfortunately, Christmas has become a little bit like a reality show. You know, the ones I'm talking about. Survivor, if you're a car guy, the overhauling in some of those shows. And, and then all those shows that are on HGTV where they, you know, they redo the houses. And uh, by the way, this is free. If you watch those HGTV shows, all you really need to watch is the last three minutes. Seriously, because they're going to show a split screen. So they're going to show you what the house looked like before, and they're going to show you what it looked like at the end. So all you got to do is watch the last three minutes. So I have just saved you 27 minutes per show so you can go get your Christmas shopping done. Thank you. But you know, according to former contestants, a lot of what is shown is, is orchestrated... And Christmas has kind of become like that, commercialized, contrived, unrealistic with just a hint of reality. So my thought this morning is, let's go back in time, 2019 years ago, to the first Christmas. And what if we could take One of those crib cams, crib monitors like the one they're going to flash up on the screen behind me. You know what I'm talking about? What if we could take one of those and drop it in to the Christmas story and put it right there on the manger? What would we see? What did the first Christmas really look like? I think the raw, real footage would be maybe a lot different than some of us think. For example, 
The idea of the manger, the crib that Jesus was born into is kind of like this idea, I think, with some people that it was like some type of antique crib. And I think a lot of us think, you know, a silent night and holy night and scented candles and, and soft hay and the angels were singing silent night and holy night as, as Mary kind of placed that baby in there. And I, and I think that, you know, some people think, you know, it's like this pristine bassinet that we call a manger. And maybe jump back to that other picture. I think sometimes people think that, that maybe it looked a little bit like this. And I can guarantee you that's not what it looked like. And I know it didn't look like this next picture she's going to throw up there. I mean, like, where do they get that idea from? I mean, I have no idea. If we drop that, that, that crib camera in there, it wouldn't look like that. It's interesting that the manger is mentioned three times in the Christmas story. And back in biblical times, it would have been an ordinary piece of farm furniture. It was rough. It was rugged. It probably didn't smell very good. It was hollow so that they could put the hay and the grain or whatever feed they were going to put into it. It was a feeding trough. It was a place where animals pigged out. Have you ever watched horses and cows or horses or cows eat? I mean, they just slobber all over the place. The saliva goes everywhere. You know, at youth camp I used to work at, we had all kinds of horses. And we used to keep the feed in these 50-gallon steel drums. And, and every once in a while, a horse would somehow get out of the pasture and get into those, those steel drums. And it would just be like a feeding frenzy. And I mean, grains going all over the place and slobbers dripping down the side of those containers and insects are buzzing around. Sometimes mice would fall down into those things and, and they couldn't get out. What if I told you, hey, I'm going to put a newborn baby in one of those steel drum feeding containers with all that yuckiness about it? You're like, tennis, don't do that. Transfer that image to 2,000 years ago. And that's what they placed the baby Jesus in. How about the swaddling clothes? I think the crib cam would also pick up that. We begin reading this morning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, the Christmas story. And of course, the words will be on the screen behind me. She gave birth, of course, she being Mary, to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, or the King James Version that so many of us are familiar with, swaddling clothes, and placed him in a manger, an ordinary piece of barn furniture used to feed animals because there was no room for them at the end so what are swaddling clothes well they're strips of cloth and just like they do newborn babies now they they wrap a baby up in that tight like almost like a burrito or something because it it makes the baby secure it makes the baby comfortable it keeps them warm and that's what he was in in the feeding trough and it's just interesting that the gospel writer, Luke, would mention the swaddling clothes. I mean, where did these swaddling clothes come from? Did Mary bring them with her? Did Joseph, like, take off his shirt and start tearing it into strips? Here's something that's fascinating to me. 
Some scholars think that it was Mary's death shawl. That's fascinating. If you did some study and you read about ancient travel in, in, in ancient times, it was very dangerous. A lot of people would die traveling. And so people would carry their death shawls with them. I mean, wouldn't that be exciting? Like, like you book your trip online and then you get your confirmation and it says, Oh, by the way, you might die on this trip, so bring something that you want to be buried in. Like, like really? Like, I think I'll book a different trip. But in ancient times, that was kind of the expectation. These death shawls were like walking caskets. And when they would die, they would wrap the person up in that shawl. They'd dig a hole, they'd put them in that hole, and they would bury them. And many people believe that the swaddling clothes that Mary used was actually her death shawl. That's what she used. And that's interesting because that would also symbolize and mirror the fact that Jesus was going to die on the cross for our sins and they were going to wrap Christ in some some burial cloths and then put him in a manger-like structure, so to speak, a tomb. And of course, we know the rest of the story, the power of the resurrection. There's something else I think we would see with that crib cam. The shepherds. Now, I don't know if we would see all of the shepherds or even all of one of them just because I don't know. And, and of course, I'm just guessing here that that Mary would really want those shepherds that close to her newborn son. So I don't know if maybe we would just see the feet because they would be standing back a little bit with our, our crib camera would only pick up their feet. Or maybe wouldn't we wouldn't see them at all because they're they're standing back and just kind of observing from the shadows of the Christmas story? Why would Mary not want the shepherds close to her baby? The shepherds were dirty. Shepherds were smelly. They worked with sheep all day. Can you imagine the bacteria and stuff that would be on their hands and on their clothes? It's not like they took a shower, put on their Sunday best, and then came to see Jesus. They were also outcast. They were people that other people didn't hang out with. They weren't even allowed to go to the temple. They were considered unclean. So why do you think the, the angels made this announcement to some guys pulling in an all-nighter, maybe drinking a little Starbucks, watching sheep? Why did, why, why did they pick them to make the announcement? We'll get to that in just a second, but let's continue reading with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Don't you love the honesty of the Bible? Yeah, I think if an angel appeared to me at night, I'd be kind of terrified too, right? Like, whoa! Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. If I ever saw an angel at night, I would hope the angel would say to me, don't be afraid. Chill out, Dennis. Don't be afraid. You know, this church building makes a lot of noises at night. I don't know how many of you have ever been up here at night, but it creaks and it groans 
And I guess it's temperature changes and wind noises and just being kind of an older building in places. And uh, sometimes it's like actually spooky, in, 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 in you could say. And uh, one night, I was, it was a Sunday night, and I was finishing up a few things, and I was the only one in the building. And, you know, when you work here all the time, it's kind of like your house. You know your way around pretty well, and we got the red exit light. So I hardly ever turn, turn on any lights when I'm up here at night. So I'm just walking down this big, long hallway here, and there's just enough glow of a red light that I can, you know, I know where I'm going. And I'm walking down that hallway, and I get to the corner right over here, right where you start to turn to go down the steps over there. And I'm just walking, and I don't know whatever I was thinking about. And as I turn that corner, there was somebody else turning the corner from the other direction in the dark. <laughs> and you talk about startling each other. I mean, we turned that corner at the exact same time. It was a gentleman in our church who used to uh, uh, lock up the church. And I mean, he dropped his Bible and my heart went up into my throat. And I mean, neither one of us knew the, knew the other one. Was there, and you know, there's nothing like being scared unexpectedly, and I'm sure that's what happened to these these shepherds. I mean, just all at once, the angels are there, and I'm sure some hearts went up into the throat, and I'm sure some shepherd staffs were dropped. But that's what happened, and then the angels continue. I bring you good news. That's what I'm giving you right now. This is the amazing thing about Christianity. This is what separates. All, Christianity from all the other major world religions. Christianity is about the good news. You've heard the word gospel bannered about and thrown about. It literally means the good news. You know, it seems like so often in our world now, we just hear bad news. We hear the bad news before we hear the good news. You ever notice that about the, the nightly evening news, for those of you who watch that? And it's true, too, on, on, the, on the web feeds, maybe on your favorite uh, uh, internet site or whatever. It's like... I watch NBC Nightly News just about every night, and it's just like all the terrible things that happen in the world, and then you get to the last segment, and they have kind of like this feel-good segment at the end about, about something positive. But you have to watch like 25 minutes of bad stuff to get to the, to the one good thing. What we're talking about today is the gift of Christmas, the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. The story continues. I bring you good news, the angel said, of great joy that will be for all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, this will be a sign to you. What's, what's the sign? You will find a baby. Okay, there are a lot of babies in, in Bethlehem. How am I going to know which one? He's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths, and he's going to be in an ordinary piece of farm furniture, a manger. The story continues. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So these guys were truth seekers. And I think one of the reasons that the angels came to these guys is because a lot of people believe that these shepherds were shepherds, temple shepherds. What is a temple shepherd? 
a temple shepherd is a shepherd who kept the sheep that were going to be sacrificed in the temple. So people would come from out of town or whatever. They're still under Old Testament law. So they would have to offer a sacrifice, a, a sheep for their sins. And so there had to be sheep that were available and they would keep sheep. And then these people would purchase them rather than, than traveling long distances with, 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 with an animal like this. So they were temple shepherds. They kept the sheep that were there to be sacrificed in the temple. And the rationale being that because of that, they would have been very aware of the coming Messiah. They would have been very aware when the angel said what's going on. That They would have been even probably more curious than most people. And that's why they basically dropped everything they were doing to go see this baby that's been born. Verse 16 tells us, here they go. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the crib can, it's pretty telling. It shows the manger, the shepherds, the swaddling clothes. And here's what I want to do now. I want us to take that crib cam off the manger itself, the feeding trough. Let's back it out somewhere else on the Christmas story. Kind of in a wide angle view. And what are some things that might be of significance this morning? You know, some things that come to my mind. The crib, the manger, whatever you want to call it. was just kind of plain and ordinary. I'm plain and ordinary. It was kind of rough and rugged. We're kind of rough and rugged too. We're sinners. We mess up. We have moral failures. The crib was also hollow. They would fill it with hay and grain. I meet a lot of people today that are trying to fill the hollowness of their lives with hay and grain. Oh, if I could just make this amount of money, man, I'd have it made. If I could, if I could just make one more deal, if I could just have one more dollar or one more million dollars, one more million, make one more acquisition, acquisition, have one more fun fix, one more car, one more house, one more whatever, that would do it for me. That would fill the hollowness in my life. You know, I think that uh, this time of year, Christmas, that the manger, it kind of confronts us a little bit. I think that's true of everybody. It just kind of reminds us of what's really important. And I think it reminds a lot of us that, you know, maybe you've achieved a lot of things in life, and yet there's still that hollowness 
and you're still empty and there's just something about this time of year that kind of grabs you a little bit, just kind of this low-grade sensation. And when you come to a, a Christmas service like this, there's just kind of that introspection that I think we do sometimes and it just kind of makes us acutely aware that something is sideways in our life if we've never accepted the gift of Christmas. And, and maybe you pretend and, and you think nobody knows, but you and God know. And you know in your heart deep down if something is sideways. And you can look at the lights this morning and you can daydream a little bit and you can think about where you're going to eat this afternoon or what you're going to do on Christmas Eve. But I think there's still that gnawing in so many people's hearts who have never accepted the gift of Christmas. Because really the gift of Christmas is about the cross. It's the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he was born of a virgin and then he lived a perfect life. And then he died on a Roman cross, died for all of our sins, all of our messed ups, all of our moral turnovers. He died for all of that. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And the gift of Christmas, he extends it to us, is realizing that he did that, that he died for our sins. And it's a gift. It's just like somebody gives you a gift at Christmas time. You have to accept that gift. It's the same thing. The gift is there. Jesus died on a cross for all of us. The gift is there, but, but we have to take it. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to ask him into our lives. Say, God, I want a relationship with you. And I'm not talking this morning about being baptized. I'm not talking about confirmation. I'm not talking about, well, I live in America, so I'm a Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Where you've asked for forgiveness of sin, where you've asked him to, to help you live life, where you've, you've let him into your life, so to speak. That's what we're talking about this morning. It has nothing to do with how religious you are or how good you've been. None of us on our own accord can be good enough to make it into heaven. And speaking of baptism... We're going to have a baptism on Christmas Eve. And we've already have some people that want to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, what's keeping you from doing that? What, what's keeping you? Some of you have been believers for 10 or 15 years. And, and baptism is just that way that we tell everybody else that we're a Christian. That, that's all it is. It, it doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't give you eternal life. It's just a symbol like a wedding ring. Tells everybody I'm married. Doesn't make me married. That's all baptism is. What's keeping you from doing that? What's keeping you from saying, God, I am on your side, and I want everybody to know that. I am committed. Are you ashamed? What's keeping you from doing that? You know, we're going to have a time of commitment here in just a few moments. It's an opportunity for you to come down here and talk about, I'd love to talk to you about the gift of Christmas, about Jesus Christ and your faith journey. Love to talk to you about baptism. If you think, you know, that would be really cool to be baptized on Christmas Eve, and it really would. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be pretty neat. I want to encourage you, as we get ready for this time of commitment this morning, where are you at? 
And I know there's a lot of people in here that you've already accepted the gift of Christmas, and I want to give you a challenge too. Be thankful for that gift this Christmas season. Enjoy all the fun stuff of Christmas. I love Christmas time. Love the looks on kids' faces and all that kind of stuff. But be thankful for that gift that God has given us. Would you pray with me, please?